Hello again, and welcome to another edition of the Questions and Answers podcast. I'm your host, Dean Carmichael, and this week we are continuing our our study through the major prophetical books. Last week we talked about Jeremiah. This week we will pick up with the Book of Lamentations. Joining us on the broadcast again is Dr. Brandon Dupont, and he is going to give a brief overview of the Book of Lamentations here in just a minute. But before he does that, I just want to give you a brief historical overview of this book. So starting really with the Exodus stage, if you will, that that happened around 1446 B.C. Uh, Joshua sees Jericho in 1406. We know the story of Israel and how they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Of course, there's the Judges period. That's about 300 years. Bible tells us man did that which was right in his own eyes. There was a, a real repetition there with Israel. They would rebel. God would give them over to captivity. They would repent, and God would raise up a deliverer. And he used a lot of different men to, to do that in that period. Then at the end of that judges period, that's when the United Kingdom stage starts. There's the revival at Mizpah. There's, uh, there's Samuel. Israel wants a king. Saul becomes the king of Israel, and this lasts for a little over uh, 100 years, uh, 1043 B.C., and starts where it starts. And, of course, we all know King David, King Solomon, and that's where it ends. King Solomon, uh, his son Rehoboam, he uh, in Jeroboam, there is a civil war between the northern and southern kingdoms, and that is a, a big topic of discussion in this in this study those two kingdoms because that's the majority of where our major and minor prophets are so of the two of the two kingdoms two of those prophets which were hosea and amos they would prophesy to the northern kingdom there was not one righteous king for these ten tribes of israel that called themselves the northern kingdom and they were referred to as israel during this time they were captured by the Assyrians in 721 BC. Now the southern kingdom, this is what started with Rehoboam, Solomon's son, lasted 326 years. There was a, a, a good time period that we'll actually mention later. Uh, after the Assyrians took the northern kingdom captive, where the southern kingdom was on its home, there were two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, and of the 20 rulers, eight were righteous now again going back to last week we're talking about lamentations this week this is jeremiah uh, we did mention that the last godly king of that southern kingdom josiah was killed uh, during the time of jeremiah and in fact josiah was killed in a battle he never should have been in um, at megiddo against pharaoh necho so that was just a a, a very sad time and the prophets of the, the major minor prophets, you got Joel, Isaiah, Micah, Zephaniah, Habakkuk, and then lastly, you have Jeremiah. All of those men, uh, I believe in that order, prophesied to the southern kingdom here. So Israel, the southern kingdom, is going to be led into captivity to the Babylonians. God is going to use Babylon as a judgment for Judah and their idolatry. Now, something to understand here, the captivity kind of starts around 606, 607 BC, but it, it, it keeps going to about 585. 
So this time period of lamentations, when Jerusalem falls uh, and the, the city is sitting in ruin, this is that 585 time period. And that is where this book of lamentations begins. So that is your historical overview. I'm going to turn over to Dr. DuPont here and let him give us an overview of the book of lamentations. Absolutely. The, the book of lamentations, as you said here, it, it starts, it picks up uh, the prophet Jeremiah being the author of that. We see uh, and we know that because there's several key phrases that are used there that there's no real question whether or not it's attributed to his uh, to his writing there but as you were talking about um, right around the time of 585 uh, bc here the prophet jeremiah had been uh, witnessing and had been uh, ministering to the people of judah uh, for years now trying to tell them uh, of the coming judgment he even uh, went so far as to when, when they had so-called cross god's deadline and had sent to a place where they had to be judged uh, he had even gone to the place there and tried to tell them to uh, surrender to the Babylonians there and, and to spare the people. But they, they again fought against him. Uh, they, they counted him, arrested him, and counted him as a traitor. Uh, and what it led up to was about July 18th of, of around 585 there, you had the walls of Jerusalem that was broken down. And roughly August 14th, if history is correct, if the dates are correct, uh, the city was burned uh, to the ground there, uh, being consumed. So Israel was... Uh, Jerusalem especially being destroyed. Now, the, the overview of this book, uh, five chapters here that you see with the Book of Lamentations, um, and it is dealing with five different laments there, five different cries, uh, cries of despair and, and, and uh, very much being upset there. The central theme of the book there can be found in Lamentations 1 and verse number 8, as you and I talked about earlier, um, and, and we'll read that later on there as we get into the um, broadcast a little bit more. But it, it basically says Jerusalem have seen, has, has grievously sinned there. Jerusalem had sinned uh, tremendously to the point where God had to judge them. Um, the, there was no way around it. The, the sin, uh, the cup was full, so to speak, there. Now, Jeremiah being uh, in a, a part of this judgment there, not because of his sin, uh, but simply because of his association with Israel, uh, writes these five letters as he sees these five laments, as he sees what is going on there, and his heart is broken. This is a, a beautiful picture. Uh, of Hebrew Hebrew poetry there that you see uh, throughout the writing, and I'll, I'll touch on that in just a minute. But I want you to notice here um, in chapter three, I want to read just a couple of verses here, and and I want to show uh, point something out before we go to the rest of the overview of the book there. And again, I believe we'll touch on this later on. Uh, but in chapter three and verse number twenty-two, it says, "It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because His compassion fail not; uh, they are new every morning. Great is Thy faithfulness." Even in the midst of God's judgment uh, upon this nation here, the prophet Jeremiah can still recognize the faithfulness and the grace of God that though Israel was going to be judged, they would not be ultimately uh, destroyed there. Now, looking at that, um, and again, I'm sure we'll, we'll touch on this later on, but uh, th this shows the same mentality. The, the same mentality is prevalent today as, as it was uh, in the time of Jeremiah. In, in man's understanding, uh, many people view God as someone who is almost waiting for man to step out of line, almost waiting for man to, to mess up the smallest little detail uh, in order for him to, to judge and to so-called crack the whip. But we see here that, that God's greatest desire, uh, absolutely solely 100% apart from man's merit, Israel, as we read in verse 8, deserved to be judged. Uh, uh, they had grievously sinned there, tremendous amount of sin. And, we'll, and uh, in just a minute, you and I, I'm sure we'll get into that sin, but we see here God, even in that, still desired restoration and mercy there. Now, 
the prophet Jeremiah is writing this, this book here. And again, the five chapters that are outlined here uh, in chapters one through four, uh, we have what is called a, an acrostic there. Psalm 119 is another example of that. A beautiful display of Hebrew poetry you have uh, in chapters one, two, and four, uh, 22 verses each. Now the Hebrew alphabet having 22 letters in the alphabet, each verse uh, starts with a different letter, letter of the alphabet. They would do that for uh, memorization and, and understanding of, of what was being said. Uh, in chapter number three, uh, and, and the theme of chapter three there being God's grace, which is amazing, uh, we look at chapter number three here, and there is 66 verses to this chapter. Uh, three lines are dedicated to every one letter. Uh, it, it amazes me as we look at that, that we see three times as many verses here that are, that are dedicated uh, to the grace of God over the judgment of God in just these, uh, in just these chapters. And, and there's, there's absolutely no doubt of Israel's deserve or Judah's deserving of, of judgment. There's absolutely no doubt of uh, their, their guilt, but we still see God's grace and God's mercy. Now, the name lamentation, uh, what it comes from is the Hebrew word, akah there, and it literally means how. Uh, it is asking the question, how? Uh, how could Israel, so to speak, to put this into in perspective, how could Israel uh, forsake God after everything he has done uh, for them? As, as you talked about, Brother Dean, just a minute ago, uh, the, the exodus, him bringing them out, establishing them, bringing them through, uh, all the way through the wilderness, uh, bringing them into Canaan, establishing them as a, a, a very strong a nation. And it gives them, uh, he had given them blessings that, that no other nation had. As we look at uh, Romans 9, in verse number 4 and 5, for example, uh, Paul is speaking, and he's speaking of Israel. He said, to whom pertaineth the promises, the adoption, the glory, uh, the glory meaning the Shekinah glory of God, uh, that that. Uh, glory that was only shown there to the nation of Israel, the, uh, the pillar of fire by night, the cloud by day uh, that led him in the wilderness, the filling of the temple. Uh, all of that was the Shekinah glory of God, the adoption, again, the nation being adopted and being uh, set apart through Abraham. We look there also, uh, the adoption of the church later on. All of these things uh, were, were, uh, they were, they were individually for the nation of Israel. They were solely for the nation of Israel. And the name there, the title, uh, simply meaning how, how could they forsake that, is such a fitting title. It is also uh, the English word that we get from it, uh, comes from the Latin Vulgate, from Lamatia uh, there. And, and it simply means uh, funeral, uh, funeral dirges there, excuse me, um, or a lament for the dead there. Uh, again, what a, a fitting, uh, fitting uh, title to something that, that Jeremiah is writing here. And, and all because Judah refused uh, to follow after the Lord, all because they refused to uh, turn back from their own, the, the lust of their own flesh, the idolatry, the, uh, the gods of the nations around them. All of that brought about a judgment that God had to bring. And this prophet Jeremiah, again, he sees that firsthand and, and he writes it with a broken heart. And when we, when we dig down to chapter number one, uh, the, as you mentioned before, it really gets into uh, the why of it. And, and you had mentioned that first verse there. Uh, excuse me, the eighth verse of the chapter, Jerusalem has grievously sinned, therefore she is removed. All that honored her despise her, because they have seen her nakedness, yea, she sigheth and turneth backward. That, that verse in itself, I mean, it, don't, don't read past that one and, and just leave it alone. It, really meditate on that. Uh, first of all, Jerusalem hath grievously sinned. Think of the the hotbed of idolatry, Ezekiel actually called it the bloody city. This is Jerusalem. This is, we're not talking about Nineveh here, right? We're, we're not talking about 
of the, the Philistines when they were worshiping, you know, uh, Dagon, the, the false god there. We're, no, we're talking about Israel. We're talking about a nation who is the Lord's is now at to the point that everyone who once honored them now despises them. They've seen their nakedness. They, the, the nation has literally turned its back and turned backwards from the Lord. Now, we talked about this a little bit last week, brother, uh, about the downfall of a nation. You have spiritual apostasy, political anarchy, moral awfulness. This is quoting Hosea, which was from the Northern Kingdom, um, prophesying to the Northern Kingdom. But this verse applies, Hosea 4, verse 6. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee, that thou shalt be no priest to me, seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God. I will also forget thy children. I believe we read that last week as well. What a powerful verse that is. But talking a little bit about this, talking about how Israel had turned backwards and how they had rebelled, this is this is dealing with the spiritual apostasy of Israel. And we see that today. We see a lot of spiritual apostasy in the church, and we can really apply uh, the church today uh, to the time of Israel during this time period. Oh, I agree. I mean, you can see, as I said, the, the heart is, uh, the, the apostasy there, the heart is, is in that apostasy and, and is in that idolatry there. Uh, religion has never been lacking in Israel, in uh, America, especially. I know that the prophecy has absolutely nothing to do with America. This is solely dealing with Israel. Correct. But we're using it as an application. Um, the, the, the application there uh, applying to us, there, that's, that's why the Bible is, pre is prevalent and relevant to us there, is the fact that it, uh, of that application it applies to us also. But as we see it, uh, the, the apostasy uh, not only a, a willing departure of the truth, which is a big difference between ignorance. Uh, ignorance is a, a lack of understanding, but that apostasy of knowing it and choosing to to deny it anyway. Um, as you talked about Hosea 4 and verse 6, there, the word knowledge, uh, that, that word actually speaks of not just any, any particular knowledge, uh, but a knowledge of the scripture, a knowledge of God's revealed word there, of his revelation. And, and as we think about that, um, that's the, the lack of it there. The lack of understanding comes from a willing departure comes from them willingly turning their back. Israel, uh, just a, like the northern tribes, uh, Judah had absolutely no excuse um, for the, the, the sin that they were in. This is not something that they could have claimed ignorance on. Uh, God had spoken to them through his scripture, through the prophets, uh, specifically sending prophet after prophet uh, to deal with them. I know there's at least uh, four major prophets, 13 minor prophets. So you're looking uh, there's no lack of understanding here. There's no lack of, uh, of an attempt on God's part uh, to, to open the eyes of the people. Uh, there was just a, a lack of a desire to, to listen to it. They, they really had no uh, care for it. They chose the gods around them uh, because the gods around them appealed to the flesh. Many of them, uh, if, if you study a lot of the pagan gods of the nations at that time, were very, very perverted gods. They, were all, they all dealt with uh, an extreme lust of the flesh. They all dealt with sexual immorality. Uh, most of the pagan practices consisted of uh, temple orgies and all those things, so it would have appealed to the flesh, and Israel chose that, uh, willingly chose that, knowing what was right, and, and they departed from that to go after those things that please the flesh. And, and again, uh, to, to Jeremiah, this broke his heart. To you and I as, as, uh, as preachers there and, and as, as Christians, 
looking around and seeing again, looking at the application of this, it, it should break our heart also to see the apostasy there. Uh, one of the things that amazes me, uh, one of the things that, that I wish I could really, really wrap my mind around because I believe if I could understand it, I'd be a lot better preacher. Um, it is the, the incredible love and grace of God, the, the desire that God has to make things right with us through his grace, through his mercy, not through our merit. All he's asking, uh, all he's really requiring of us is that surrendered heart. But the desire that God has to fellowship with us and to make things right, uh, I think about um, even the, the prophet Ezekiel uh, coming after this when he looks and he says, uh, does the Lord have any pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that they should repent and live? Uh, that, that's, like I said, that to me is an amazing thought in the midst of, of all the corruption and all the sin. Uh, God still wanted to, though he was going to correct Israel, uh, he was not going to completely destroy and consume Israel, which, like I said, it's, it's an amazing thought to me. And, and God is a, a very gracious God. He's a very merciful God. But one thing the Bible is very clear about, and it, it, it's, it's, it's very clear in this story, is that God does not accept sin. And there is an outcome. Uh, there will be a, a judgment of God on Israel Yes, he wants them to repent. Yes, he wants them to turn away. But if they don't, there is going to be uh, some consequences. And that's what carries us over to chapter number two, verse number seven. The Lord hath cast off his altar. He hath abhorred, abhorred excuse me, his sanctuary. Now, real quick, that, that word there, abhorred, means to regard with disgust and hatred. God gives instructions to build the temple. He blessed it. At one time, his presence is there. At this point, the Bible's telling us that he literally, uh, he was disgusted with his sanctuary. They had, they had gotten so far into blasphemous sin. Uh, that is literally where, where, where God was with his nation. And you can, you can go all the way to Revelation chapter 3. And again, you brought out a very good point here. Uh, whenever we study the Bible, it's very important. We always interpret first. Uh, there's dispensation. You brought out the point about America not being in the prophecy that's, uh, of the Bible. That's very correct. And whenever we're studying the Bible, we always want to interpret first. And going to the book of Revelation, which is talking about the church here. So uh, this is, can be used as an application uh, to this. But Revelation 3, 14 and 16, Jesus Christ is writing to the, the seven churches of Asia Minor. And each church, this is very important that we understand this, each church is autonomous. Each church, it is, the, it is uh, a specific message to that church. And Jesus says to the church of Laodicea, these things saith uh, the amen, the faithful and true witnesses, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. In other words, he's saying, you make me sick. And that is exactly what God is saying here about Israel. Uh, they, were, they were that deep into idolatry. And the, the application that we can take from this is just because we're going to church does not mean that we're pleasing to God. Uh, the most dangerous place in the night of Jesus' betrayal was in the upper room. 
because that's where, where, where Satan had gotten with Judas Iscariot and then, and he, he went to betray Christ and Peter ends up denying Christ. And just because we're going to church and going through the, the motions does not mean that God is pleased and uh, that, that he's blessing what we're doing. I agree hundred percent. And, and touching back on um, the subject there where you, you said that God does not accept sin. When you look at that, um, I have said this many times from my pulpit, and, and I believe with all my heart that, that Scripture backs it up, that when you see uh, the, the subject of sin, every sin, there will not be one sin, no matter how small we, we deem it to be in our eyes, there will not be one sin uh, that goes unpaid for. There won't be one that's swept under the rug. Uh, every sin, every single sin will be judged by God because in the holiness of God, the, the number one attribute of God, His holiness, He can't allow sin into His presence. So those sins will either be under the blood of Jesus Christ, paid for and never to be remembered again, or they will be held to the account of the person who uh, is guilty of those things. When you look at Israel, uh, Israel is still uh, the apple of God's eye. It is still uh, that there are still promises for Israel that there will be a future restoration. We look at Romans 9, 10, and 11, and, and you see the, the, uh, the attitude that brought judgment in Romans 9, the departure, the, the of Israel there, they're, they're denying of the Lord. Uh, in Romans 10, you see their current condition. In Romans 11, you see a future restoration. Uh, even though God is going to restore Israel, and he still has plans for them, he will restore them. We are very sure of that in Scripture, uh, in prophecy. But when you're talking about the tribulation, uh, when the church is raptured out, uh, even Israel, God's people that have uh, denied him, that have denied Christ there, and those that have gone on in that apostasy, they will go through that time of judgment. They will go through that time of purging. Uh, and that dispensation that we're in now, the dispensation of grace, where God is reaching out uh, and giving every attempt to have uh, that relationship with people will be done. And the time of judgment will come in. So uh, again, as you said there, every sin, God will not accept a single one of them uh, because that one sin in the sight of God there, if he were to allow that or overlook it, uh, that would disrupt the, the the nature of his holiness, and he won't allow that to happen. He's perfectly holy. And, and thank God for his grace, right? Thank, thank the Lord for it. And if there is one glimmer of hope in this very uh, sad, heartbreaking uh, book of the Bible, it's in chapter 3 and verse number 21 through 24. And the theme of this chapter is how Jerusalem would should have been totally and utterly destroyed um, had it not been for the grace of God. Jeremiah goes on to say, This I recall in my mind, therefore have I hope, as of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning, great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul, therefore will I hope in him. In other words, as I just said, uh, if they would have gotten what they have deserved um it would have just been babylon would have just just wiped them off the map right they just would have uh, taken them completely away but i want to quote here uh, uh dr j vernon mcgee was judah's deliverance from such a fate due to something in them no it was all due to the faithfulness of god he had promised abraham that he would make a nation come from him and this was the nation he had promised moses that he would put them into the land he had promised Joshua that he would establish them there. He promised David there would come one in his line to reign on the throne forever. The prophets all said that God would not utterly destroy this people, 
but that he would judge them for their sin. God is faithful. He has judged them, but he will not utterly destroy them. A faithful remnant has always remained, and ultimately, they will become a great nation again. I believe that's a really good summary there by Dr. J. Vernon McGee. We're just talking about the grace of God there and how God is faithful to his word. Absolutely. Absolutely. When we get to uh, chapter four there, um, talking a little bit here, um, brother, just about how uh, in chapter four, verse one and two, talking about just comparing the two, right? So we've covered it. We've talked about the grace of God. Uh, We've talked about how uh, Israel has totally rebelled, the, the apostasy, even comparing that to the state we're in now. But looking at this just for a minute, comparing wealth to ruin here, in Lamentations 4, verse 1, 2, how has the gold become dim? How has the most fine gold changed? The stones of the sanctuary are poured out in the top of every street. The precious sons of Zion, comparable to fine gold, how they are esteemed as earthen pitchers, the work of hands of the potter. Used to be the fine gold, now they're just clay. And pretty much what this is saying is, and I'll let you talk a little bit about this here. I want to hear your thoughts. But what sin will do to a nation? I mean, you look at the New Testament. Look at Paul. What, what did Paul say? And Paul used to identify him by name. Uh, I think a lot of preachers now, we, we get a little too, too nice sometimes. Paul would call, the, call these folks by name. He would let everyone know. But he said they're like a cancer. They're a canker. And he said, mark them, identify them. Um, and what, if we're not careful, and that, that's talking about that false doctrine there, but just sin in general. If we let sin creep in as a child of God, if we let sin creep into our hearts and our lives and we let it spread and we don't take care of that, it'll eventually catch up with us. And this is exactly what happened to the nation of Israel. Absolutely. You talk about their value and it wasn't that they were any less value, uh, valuable as far as the, the sight of God. He always loved them. But you talk about their value. Uh, as a nation, uh, when it comes to the purpose that God had for them, their purpose, uh, that, that in the Old Testament, Israel's purpose was, was to be a representation of the one true God. They were to show Jehovah uh, to the entire world, and they were that gold uh, that was to show him there. They were that, that, uh, that, those precious stones, that, that doctrine there, as what's looked at in 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15, the, the uh, gold, silver, precious stones, referring to right doctrine there, uh, that, that was... Uh, is Israel's purpose uh, that they were so very valuable when they were separated and, and set apart for the Lord, they stood out above all the other nations. And as they began to blend in and as they began to uh, be corrupted and to take on the, uh, the appearance of the nations around them and the attitude and the religion of the nations around them, they lost that value. They were no longer able uh, to stand out. They were no longer able to, uh, influence the nations around them for the one true God. Now you look at the same thing, uh, again, giving an application. Uh, I, I'm not talking about replacement theology. Israel and the church are two completely different groups. They, they are two completely different sets of promises. Uh, God is not done with Israel. But if you look today, uh, the church's job, the, the Bible is very clear. The Bible tells us uh, that we are ambassadors for Christ. There were his representatives. Uh, we're to be uh, that gold, that silver, those precious stones are that right doctrine. Uh, that goes out and is that representation that points others uh, to the one true God. That is our job there. 
And when we fail to do that, uh, as, as the, the church of Laodicea, the, representing the apostate church there in the, in the end times, which I believe uh, we are in those times of, of apostasy there, uh, the, the church has lost so much of its influence uh, among the world there uh, because they've tried to look like the world. They've tried to adapt the world and there's no longer that great value. They've gone from gold to clay, so to speak. And when we, when we close this up here in chapter number five, Jeremiah has a prayer for Israel. And we can sum this prayer up in, the, in verses 19 through 21. Thou, O Lord, remainest forever, thy throne from generation to generation. Wherefore dost thou forget us forever and forsake us so long time? Turn thou us unto thee, O Lord, and we shall be turned, renew our days as of old. And this reminds me of, of a title of a message I preached one time, um, History Will Repeat Itself. And, and history does have, have a way of repeating itself. Um, and, and the points of that message was uh, when a godly nation becomes ignorant, when a godly nation becomes idolatrous, and when a godly nation becomes immoral, um, history will repeat itself. And, and, and you made it very clear, is it, it, the Bible, God has his promises to Israel there, and, and, and but there is a lot that we can learn from from Israel. There's a lot that there's a lot of application that we we as the church, even us as a nation, right? That uh, the the people can learn a lot from this na this nation Israel. And one thing I think we can get from from this broadcast and just uh, summarizing this book is that God is willing. He is a a, a very gracious God. He's a merciful God. Um, Isaiah, and, and I was thinking of this earlier when you were talking, brother, uh, talking about how, you know, Jeremiah here, you're, you're talking years, right? I mean, a good 100 years after Isaiah had started his ministry. And, and you know, you, you think of how God had tried reasoning with, with his people. He tried getting his people to come to repentance and, and they just wouldn't do it. They continued to turn and turn and turn and turn. And, and this is exactly uh, what happens uh, when, when we do that. Absolutely. Like I said, God is, if anything, you, th you see through scripture, um, he is long suffering. He is patient. Second uh, Peter three, nine, God is, uh, he's not slack concerning his promises as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to us where, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. You, you see that not only in the church, but you see that throughout the entire, uh, the entirety of scripture. I look back at uh, when you, when you see the flood and the, um, the, the antediluvian period there, there was approximately 900 years, nine centuries. Uh, most scholars will hold to about nine centuries time uh, between um, the departure of the, between Lamech and the final, um, the, the final bringing of the flood in, the, the ushering in of the flood under Noah there. That's a long time Right. when you look at that and you see the, the grace and the mercy of God. When you look at Israel, it was roughly, you would have seen um, uh, approximately 930, 935 B.C. You would have seen uh, the, the rise of Rehoboam, uh, the, the uh, the division of the of the nation and the, the ten tribes to the north, the two to the south, and, and even in that period, uh, again as you mentioned earlier, uh, the the northern tribes of Israel, not a single righteous king, and yet they were still God still gave two hundred years uh, of mercy and grace trying to restore them, prophet after prophet. You look at the southern tribes, and though they did have 
uh, the, the eight kings there, roughly 40% of the kings uh, that, that came in uh, were righteous. You, you had 60% that were wicked, and yet God gave them over 300 years and many prophets that came there. Uh, you, you look at the, the age that we're in today, the church age, uh, when, when you look at what is going on today, not just in the world. Uh, um, you know, my pastor said something to me one time, and, and I'll never forget it. It was it's so very simplistic, but when you think about it, so very deep in, in uh, theology, he, he said, unsaved people are going to live like unsaved people. And, and there's when, when you think about that, yes, it sounds very elementary, but the, the truth behind it is very deep. We can't expect uh, the world to act like the church. There's, there's no reason to expect that. They're, they're dead in trespasses and sins. A lost person uh, literally has no spiritual understanding. There's, there's uh, the absence of the Holy Spirit dwelling with inside them, giving them the ability to interpret Scripture. Uh, but when you think about this age period of time, uh, I, I'm talking about the, the decline uh, of the church. We have come to the place, as I said, um, if you look and you listen, I'll be the first to tell you I am far from a scholar. There's a lot of things I, I, I believe I've just started scratching the surface of really being able to dig into the scriptures, and, and I enjoy learning something so very much with it. I, I love, but when you think about some of the stuff that is preached and some of the stuff that is taught, um, not only is, is some of it uh, just pure ignorance, but a lot of it is, is true apostasy, where people that have been told the truth uh, that don't like the truth. It's not comforting to them. It doesn't fit their lifestyle. Uh, they've adapted something else and brought it into it. And, and you see here that uh, the, the church is not uh, the church is not getting better. The church is declining in many ways. Or there will always be a remnant. There will always be a faithful remnant. And God willing, I will always be a part of that. You will always be a part of that. But as as a whole, the church is declining, and yet we still see the grace of God in that He is long suffering. That does not mean uh, there, there are many people that take the long suffering of God and use it as an excuse and say, oh, God is uh, a loving God would not send anybody to hell. Uh, that does not mean that God will not condemn and will not judge. Uh, he, he will. It'll be a righteous judgment. It'll be a true judgment. There'll be no person that goes to hell that'll say, I didn't deserve this. Every person, when God opens those books and shows them their life compared to the holiness of God, will realize that they are deserving of hell. But, in the, but as we look at it, God has no desire for man to go to hell. And I believe as, as we look here, Lamentations 5, um, three words that stand out in, in Jeremiah's prayer. You see, remember, considereth, and you see, behold. Jeremiah is, is again asking God to remember, to, uh, to consider his people. He's asking them to behold the conditions and, and to restore them. Uh, that, that ought to be our prayers today. That ought to be that, that uh, the, the same heart that Jeremiah had, that the weeping, the broken heart over the lost, over those who refuse God, over those who are being judged, even those who are being judged. There's not a single one of us as, as preachers or Christians that should look at a lost person uh, and rejoice when that lost person dies and goes to hell. There's not a one of us uh, that should rejoice over somebody going to hell. Christ wouldn't rejoice over that. Uh, and I certainly believe that you and I today, that our mission is to take the gospel to, to everyone and keep as many people out of hell as we possibly can. Absolutely. And, and to quote here, Isaiah 118, come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. They, though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And, and, and just, just to, to put an emphasis on that, that is a very famous verse and that is quoted a lot. But look at the, look at what we're talking about here. The, the prophecy of, of Jeremiah and now we're looking at Lamentations. 
how he is he is observing the the ruin of Jerusalem. This verse here, this was said to his people. This this verse was a prophecy to his people hundred years before this, over that. And 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 again, just talking about uh the mercy and the grace of God and how God, God is not willing that any should perish. And, and you're exactly right, brother. Uh, neither neither should we. So uh, with that, um, I, that this is going to come to a close to uh, another podcast here. Uh, Brother Brandon, anything else on your heart you want to get off real quick? Uh, if I could, just to add one more thing to what you were saying. Um, when you were talking about Isaiah 118, I wanted to quote um, another very famous verse, Ezekiel 18 and verse number 32. For I have no pleasure in the death of him that dies, saith the Lord God. Wherefore, turn yourselves and, and, and live ye. Uh, you look at that and you look at, again, Ezekiel 33 and verse number 11. Um, and, and again, he re- reiterates that same truth that's being said there. Uh, what what an amazing God we serve! I mean, what what an awesome God there! I, I wish, uh, I wish that we would, as, as preachers, that we as Christians, and that the world is as, um, I, I wish that they would better see the the true character of God, the the loving grace of God, and the desire that He has uh, to save each and every one of us. Uh, to me, like I said, that's. That's just something that that's absolutely beyond my understanding. When I think about how loving God is and how merciful He is, uh, that that no person can stand there and say, "Lord, I deserve to be saved," but yet He's willing to do it. He's willing to save anybody that would simply call upon Him. It's like I said, it's it's a humbling thought. Absolutely, and 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 Jesus even said that all of the Father giveth me shall come to me. I uh, I will no wise cast him cast him out. And uh, thank the Lord. For that, so brother Brandon, thanks again for for joining us, sir. We really appreciate it. Enjoyed this. Absolutely, thank you for having me. Like I said, it's always a privilege to be on here. Yes, sir. Thank you very much, and thank you for listening. And on behalf of uh, Dr. Dupont, our our guest, this is brother Dean Carmichael. And until next time, uh, may the Lord bless you.